0: Well, we're talking about studio stuff because this is our last ever session. Yeah. in this studio. And it's a bummer.
1: Yeah, yeah it's
0: a good place. Mhm. I'm going to try to be as optimistic as possible, but honestly, this is kind of like a big extension of the rut. Yeah. Just because now I need to find another home base, you know, and yeah. my actual home is not big enough to be that. So yeah. luckily though, I've done a lot of production in this studio and I can kind of like hunker down for the winter at home yeah. and do all the mixing now, which is quite honestly my least favorite part. Yeah. But it at least keep me keep me busy and keep me occupied. Yeah. But I, I think I want to talk tonight about having a home base or like feeling rooted somewhere that is conducive to creativity or Mm. conducive to collaboration or is like, at least like sparks some kind of fire in you that makes you want to be productive. It's important.
1: I think it's a kind of a huge Achilles heel for anyone in any DIY sort of sector Mm -hmm. because a lot of times those perfect spaces are very vulnerable to landlords and cops and, Everything that the rest of society tends to Yeah. Unleash on you when they see a building that looks vacant. Yeah. Which is where these things always are. Mm-hmm. But Christ, they're they're important to have. Just knowing that there's a place like I mean it's in some ways just a place that's safe that you can just go in and right. just let loose. I've I've always needed that. There's never been a time in my life where I haven't had some desire to have like a fort or like a yeah. It's maybe it's that maybe it's like, <laughs> the, like the adult or young adult young adult version of like a treehouse.
0: Well, this is what I've been thinking about recently. Is um, remember you and I talked a while back about like youth group and camp yeah. and like the places to congregate, whether it's for a specific focused purpose yeah. or not. Just like having the the space that is safe and a space that encourages you to just, like, gather with people for some kind of shared experience or, like, with some kind of shared vision for what that thing is going to be. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking to myself the other day, like, (laughs) why is there not a secular youth group for adults? Yeah, and i think that that is a big thing that's missing in my life because certain things will start to feel a little bit like youth group minus the ideology part of it yeah or minus the watchful eye of the of the leaders yeah you know and that always feels like the most welcoming thing where like you're just it's a convivial experience with others where you kind of are coming from the same experiences and coming with the same goals or the same Reasons to want to connect with other people, yeah, but again, without the ideology, without sort of the church implications, without the guidance, for lack of a better word, you know, yeah. And I feel like that's something that I would love to get into is just sort of like an unguided, unstructured social time, yeah, but also with a fixed space in mind, with a fixed like. And this sounds like I'm describing a bar, but (laughs) (laughs) unstructured social time, but in more of like a sort of, I guess unstructured is also the wrong word because like Mm -hmm. when I have felt this the most in my adulthood Mm -hmm. is when I've been running shows. And so like it's structured in the sense that there is a focal point of the music that's happening. Yeah. And then after the show or before the show is when everybody can get to kind of like run around and get to know each other. Yeah. And just sort of congregate and, and, converse about whatever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's something I'd like to get back into. And I think mm-hmm. I've realized lately that like, that's a big thing that's missing in my life and not necessarily that I want to run a venue again, Yeah, but I'd like to be a showrunner or some kind of a host yeah. again, just to make that sort of thing possible.
1: Yeah. That would be cool. Cause I mean, it's interesting when you think about it, like it's, you'd get, Elements of each half of that, like socially speaking, at least, you get completely unstructured and purely just social drifting, like when you go to a bar or when Mm -hmm. you go to certain coffee shops, things like that. Yeah. And then you get purely structured when you go to like a concert show. Right. But then people typically go kind of already in their factions or they go alone, expecting to be going alone. Like there's not a lot of like just blank slate, like fraternizing out in the lobby. (laughs) Like that's, Mm -hmm. I've never seen that in my Mm -hmm. life. And it's kind of rare that you get something where everybody's showing up for like a central experience that will happen and will end, but there's enough like bleed over still Mm -hmm. while you're within that context. Yeah. That people can like mill around and realize, hey, this is a shared interest.
0: Yeah. You don't have that too much in adulthood. You don't. And I, well, I've... I used to spend a lot of time with adults who did have that in a very specific setting and it was the Christian coffeehouse setting. Okay. And remember when I wrote that essay a few months back yeah. about like, why does the music scene seem so bizarre to me? Yeah. And it's because I think that there is so often too much of a focus on the music itself. Yeah. Whereas when I was growing up going to coffee houses, sure, the focal point of the night was the music And then there's the two hours after the music is done when it's a bunch of people of the same faith and of the same traditions and of the same proclivities mostly who are just like hanging out with each other and catching up. And at that point of the night, the music is done, Mm. but the community is still there. And so there's not, the focal point after the music has stopped playing, there is no focal point really. That's when it is unstructured time and there's a deadline because they're going to close up and you got to just like, you know, help to roll all the tables away or whatever but yeah and it's also like that with with like high school and or community theater. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also like that with or maybe more theater than I know, but you know, where there's the performance of it. Yeah. And then there's the gathering in the lobby. Yeah. You know, then there's the the eating the bait goods out in the foyer like yeah. just just chatting with other people from the community. Yeah. And I think that that's a feeling that I miss a lot is having a night where there is a focal point, but also the unstructured time around the focal point. And so I don't know what position I can put myself in to curate that, but that's where I find my my desires being right now.
1: Well, it makes me wonder how important the ideology or the ethos is to that experience too, because when you you get a certain level of trust around say something like faith, like there's the event that's going on, but then there's the assumption that everybody here shares kind of similar perspectives on whatever the situation is, whether you're thinking about the world or the universe or the afterlife or whatever. Like you kind of understand the cloth that everybody's cut from, so it's a little safer to to just mill around because you know yeah. everybody's on the same wavelength. And theater is weirdly similar because it's, it's kind of it's a strong culture and it would be different than like going to Just see like your favorite band play, Mm -hmm. and everyone else is also there seeing the band that they like play. It's so individualized, with the exception of like a cult band. Yeah, like if you, I imagine I haven't been to one, but I know several people who have frequently. But go to like a Ween show.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I've always heard that it's a little bit more on this side of it than just everybody stoically going to enjoy a show. Sure, because it's it's a tribe, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it gathering means, of the juggalos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. It's literally just yesterday talking to my brother about how much of a phenomenon that is. Yeah. Really, it's like even the fact that those happen and they're so contained. They never like raise the city. Like everyone's afraid whenever they come to town. It's like it's right. never. It never turns into a riot. Yeah, and it just, it makes me wonder how crucial that ideology or that shared ethos or whatever it is would be for that event and if that's an adulthood thing or if that's something that we're not aware of as kids Mm. is it something where we lose a little shred of innocence that makes that necessary or is it something that we just don't think of it like ideologies as kids because we're we're kids or because our parents booked this for us based on their ideologies
0: yeah I think that some innocence is lost but that innocence can be lost because you've seen like either an opposition to the ideology that you grew up with or like some sort, like it's strange. When I was uh, going to a lot of Christian coffee houses, there are these like bikers that used to show up. Yeah. And in the specific insular world that I grew up with, no one rode motorcycles, no one cursed. Yeah. And no one smoked cigarettes. Yeah. And these guys did all three. So (laughs) I was like, I'm not sure that they're Christians. Like in my little, you know, (laughs) seven, eight-year-old brain. Um, Probably a little older than that, actually. I was in middle school, I think. But when you have already sort of an opposition in mind Mm -hmm. and then you're already thinking about, like, what situations this wouldn't work in, what situations you wouldn't feel comfortable in. yeah. So for me, there's this long-standing bias that the feeling that I experienced at those coffee houses would not work at a bar partially because it straight up wouldn't, but also partially because I have this bias about like the kind of people and the kind of experiences that people go for when they are attending a bar. So, yeah. Yeah, we see the opposition to it when we're older, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the opposition precludes that experience from happening, that same feeling from happening. Yeah. I think it's just about like weeding out what's what's possible. I had a meeting with Michael Gunger recently that I told you about mm-hmm. and there's kind of two ideas floating around here and one is maybe starting a group that just approaches kind of spiritual or spiritual adjacent topics from a humanist perspective. Or just sort of like approaching like common human needs from a humanist perspective yeah. rather than a spiritual one. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that it can't be spiritual, but more like how we approach topics on, on our show. Yeah. But doing it in a large group. Yeah. You know, in a large Zoom group. Um, but I'd also like to manifest that kind of thing physically at, at some physical space and Mm. kind of the thing that hurts about losing this studio is I've tried to do things like this before with like songwriter socials and stuff like that. Yeah. And sometimes you get some attendance and sometimes you don't, but it's like losing the space where people can come together. Yeah. It's like, well, hell now I got to find a whole new space and a whole new, like maybe even a whole new organization to kind of be under the purview of. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, because it's logistically hard if mm-hmm. this kind of thing is like really pure at heart and is actually doing what it really should do and making people feel the way that they should feel, it's not going to be profitable. And right. Location really matters because mm-hmm. it's got to be casual. It's got to feel just like fun, I think, on some level. even if it's not always like packed with joy and lighthearted. like you can have serious discussions, you could get contemplative or spiritual, but at the same time, it's got to feel a little bit playful. Cause it's a playful idea, and you know, and to me, that's the whole. That would be the appeal to doing something like that. If I saw yeah. that on like a telephone pole and was like, "Oh shit!" Like I'd mm-hmm. go to that. Like it would be because it's not an obligation or a commitment. It's like I want to go here and be in this group. It's a playground, you know. And, right. Yeah. Well,
0: but, and that's the whole appeal of of DIY culture, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Totally. You know,
0: it's kind of like what I was what I was talking about. Like, even though there is sort of a focal point to the show, it's a loose focal point to the point where you can smoke cigarettes outside the entire time yeah, and still be, like, a participant, you know?
1: That's something I've always tried to explain to people about, like, the South Shore scene. Yeah. this was something I valued the most about it from the day I started hanging out there was how kind of fluid involvement was. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, even in the Puzzle Factory days when there was a literal introvert room, it was just kind of this like, screw it, this is that camp, everyone goes there. And that kind of stuff was so cool because it's like, you can drift between these, you can just go down there if you're having a shitty night. It's pay what you can so if you're broke that day or if you're flush that day, it doesn't impact your eligibility. It's Mm -hmm. it's just the, the closest thing I've found to that level of just unrestricted hanging out, it's like, have you ever been to like a McDonald's where there's that back kind of little room, not room, but like the, they can't see you at the counter. So you oh, can sure. sit over there and have yeah. the wifi, yeah. always over by the bathrooms. Yeah, That's like one of the only places, that and like libraries where you won't get kicked out. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they're not social venues. They're just mm-hmm. places you won't get kicked out. And I always kind of was struck by how rare it is past a certain age to just have, like you have to have a reason to be everywhere. Mm. And it's really nice when you go to certain DIY scenes that you can just be
0: there making up your reason as you go and bringing what you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely does have that, that playground feel. Yeah. Where, like, yeah, you can participate with like what the majority of the people are, are doing. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a kickball game going on and yeah. you just want to hang out on the jungle gym. That's totally fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there should be playgrounds for grown people. <laughs> <laughs> 'Cause it's obviously extremely uncouth to go to a playground as a grown person. Yeah. But if there were some equivalent, like an, a I don't want to say adult's <laughs> only playground, because that takes it, I think, down another path real quick. But
0: yeah, but we get short shrift as adults. Yeah. Like not getting these things that like, you know, we, we like establish these these structures for for children that like aid in their development. But I think the mistake that we make is thinking that, like, once we're adults, that development isn't necessary anymore. Or that, like, sustaining of what that development has become yeah. isn't necessary anymore. And, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about a literal print playground here. But, like...
1: I half was.
0: Yeah, it mean, anyway, <laughs> wasn't at first Then I thought about it. I was like, honestly, yeah. I'd go to that. But-, but this, like, goes hand in hand, I think, with what we were talking about with our episode about community yeah you know if you stick with it, you're gonna have those things as an adult. if you stick with the structures that you were raised within, yep. then you're gonna be able to kind of succeed into those roles as an adult and still reap the benefits of them yeah you know i e boy scouts yeah totally like you can be a boy scout and have a lots of fun and then be a boy scout leader when you're older or play any other number of uh community roles when you're older and it will sort a lot of things out for you.
1: Yeah. That happens with sports too.
0: Mm. like sports fandom. Yeah.
1: Or if you think about sports fans as sometimes people that sort of grew out of playing them, like they were interested as kids and then maybe they were good as high school as maybe they did something in college and then they, it's a comfort. There's like a, there's a world for you, kind of a role that you get to play. You can feel... I, I heard the best term to describe it actually the other day. It's I think it's a social science term. Um, it's basking in the reflected glory. Okay. Yeah. And it's like that is exactly yeah like, you know, when you go to a football game and you're painted up, dressed mm-hmm. to the nines and like like that is so. It's something I always laughed at for so much of my life because I've just never felt
0: that. Yeah.
1: For sports, but I totally get it now. Like why people need that. And there's so few places. If you don't fit directly into an interest mold, there's mm. there's not a lot of options unless you kind of go out and pursue them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you won't always have the energy, but yeah. You know what's given me hope lately, though, is it's again. There's another box. Like you have to be single for this, but I keep hearing the commercial on the radio for um, the what the hell is it? Events and Adventures, I think. Okay. And that's such a cool premise. It's just a dating thing for. I I think they advertise it as if, like, you're new in town or you're just looking to mix it up with people or whatever. And it's literally just they post a bunch of events and adventures and shit. Like, we're going hiking, we're going skydiving, we're going apple picking, like, whatever. It sucks that there has to be a dating-specific component to that, although I completely understand in this context why that has to be kind of a prerequisite. But Uh it's the imagination side of it that grabs me more because I don't necessarily love the idea of like doing stuff all the time. (laughs) Like it's not always like I want to like go places. It's just I kind of want to like poke around and explore and like think about shit and not end up at the point B that we assumed we were going to end up at every single time. Like to me that's really fun. So I I just, I keep hearing that commercial every day on the radio and I'm always just kind of struck by like how that shouldn't seem novel.
0: Yeah. And, And I guess like that's the kind of thing that doesn't really require a home base either. Yep. So it's nice to have those things to know that you can do without a home base. But I don't know, I always feel much more comfortable like like when I used to be a showrunner. Just knowing that I had like the license to decorate how I wanted to. Yeah. And like set up the stage the way I wanted to. And you know, it sounds like a control thing and it might be. <laughs> I don't know. I am more I'll say this like I'm so hesitant to get involved. With a community or, like, some sort of structured event that already has that structure in place or already has, like, everyone else attending knows and is into a certain way of doing things. Yeah. And I'm new to it. And that's, I think, probably the most uncomfortable thing in the world for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. But I'm definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Then there are more people who are more comfortable with the sort of improvised nature of showing up and getting involved. Mm. Those are the people that I count on showing up, you know, because I, I want to be the one to sort of set up the structure and the comfortability Mm. and yeah, just, just set up the possibility so that it seems like we can turn this into whatever we want. Yeah. But also I need the people to show up who are willing to turn it into something. Yep. You
1: know? I mean, it makes sense that having a home base is almost a canvas at that point. It's, mm-hmm. it's where you can express yourself and then let other people
0: come into that. Well, and that's the important word there is canvas. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, it, it's tough to start something unstructured. Yeah. Because then no one knows what it is and then no yeah. one comes to it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, that's kind of what the hearing room was doing right when they first opened, yeah, you know, it was that, it was a, a, a venue. It was just like a a place where you could hang out and, you know, do songwriters in the round or do bluegrass jams or, or whatever. Yeah. But that place was absolutely a canvas. And when they first opened up, they treated it as such. Yeah. But with enough, you know, focal point specific music events Mm. that you knew what it was mainly, but, also had an idea that it could be other things on yeah. the weekdays.
1: It makes me wonder how much the event then is is just something to quell the anxiety. But like, what if this is ambiguous? What if I don't know how to fit in? Like for me, the reason why I would never walk into a party because mm. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be able to like muster the courage to come away from the wall or if like, what if people don't like me? What if I don't fit in? What if I say something fucked? Like it's just... A nightmare so I don't go but I would go to a show and hang out in the lobby because I know it is a show I could spend the entire night in the lobby I could also go into the show Right. and so it puts that to bed so even if you never make it in there because you're having such a good time in the lobby you know what the night is you don't have to spend any energy trying to define it Mm -hmm. but it's not so defined that it's restricting Mm -hmm. like that seems like a it has a big kind of anxiolytic Property to it, that type right. of just flag that you plant
0: so how is your rut going at this point? Do you feel like you're at all out of it a little bit more? No, or no. <laughs> no, I feel um currently a little bit
1: more energized than I did a couple of weeks ago, yeah, about it, but not um better. About it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel that anything has improved. Okay. Uh, but I'm starting to realize I heard the quote the other day about um, I don't know who said it, but it was about like mistaking motion for progress. Okay. Yeah. And I realized that I've fallen victim to that on a number of occasions, especially recently. Mm-hmm. Not to like a crazy, glaring fault, but there have definitely been a lot of things that I think I put an unfair emphasis on, is thinking that they would lead directly to progress. And in reality, I was just giving myself, like, busy work or just wasting time or whatever. But Yeah. So I've been reckoning with that. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I, I just am starting to identify, I think, more and more what the rut is. So it doesn't feel better, but it's, like, starting to be clearer.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just scary. It's like when you start to realize how deep it is or whatever. I keep thinking of it like an EQ curve. Yeah. This might be... <laughs> An interesting thing to say on a on an audio only podcast, but uh I keep thinking of it like the rut is uh kinda deep with a pretty wide bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. But then right next to it there's an upward curve yeah. <laughs> with a narrower bandwidth. Okay. Um so if you can picture that, like there are parts that are looking up and there are parts <laughs> that kind of keep dipping deeper and deeper and deeper down. All the warmth has been EQ'd out of my life, and I just got this, like, shrill-ass 1K. (laughs) That's beaming up slowly. That is the best description of
1: depression I've ever heard. I can totally, like, I can totally picture it.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, it's extremely apt, but it's also...
0: It's dark. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I got this thing with the liturgist that's kind of looking up and uh, I've got some new ideas that are pretty concrete ideas, I think. Mm -hmm. Not in that I know how to manifest them, but that I have a better and better sense every day of kind of what I want my future to look like and what I want institutional support to look like and what I want... My sense of belongingness to look like, yeah. But I think it's going to take a lot to achieve it. Yeah. And some of it is just going to have to be happenstance, and some of it's going to have to be luck. Mm-hmm. So I'm counting on a little bit of luck, but mm-hmm. also I have a better sense of what I where my energy needs to be directed. Yeah. So that feels better than it did a few months ago, but it's not really. That pr- well, I guess it's that a little bit of progress has been made because I've, ident- I've, I've pinpointed a few of the sources of the rut, a few of the actual problems. Yeah. So I don't feel like I have <laughs> the support to necessarily propel me through the rut yeah. that I did a few months ago when the rut started. Yeah. But I at least have a better sense of <laughs> how to broaden that EQ curve. Yeah.
1: I think it's important to remember too, like, I don't remember if we talked about any of it on Mike, but you and I definitely talked about how like you were recognizing some of these things before, like before they became problems or before they started to unravel, like there were certain things about just kind of your work life situation, your surroundings, like your creative spaces and things that you were starting to feel and a desire to, to change or explore what might be beyond them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to like remember that you weren't, that you're not wrong, you know, like that it sucks that it's being, you're kind of being pissed on here. Like there's a lot of stuff that's just been swept out from under you and the timing is pretty fucked up. But it's also that at its core, it's just a lot, you know, it's not necessarily that every step of it is the wrong thing or that you were wrong for wanting any of it. Or like you've had your head screwed on the right way about all of it from the jump. Yeah, that's It's just true. that, like, all of a sudden, somebody kind of pulled out the, the limiter, and you yeah. are getting all decibels.
0: Yeah, it's like everything that is hitting me all at once. It was all predictable, you know. And it was all predictable in a way that informed me, uh, or at least like gave me a good sort of psychic sense of this needs to change, or else it's going to hit me pretty hard. Once it does change, with uh, not under my control. Yeah. Um, I did not expect it all (laughs) to come within the span of a month.
1: That's what I mean. Like you've got kind of two issues happening in parallel, really. You've got surviving, whether emotionally or financially or physically or whatever, like enduring the sudden deluge of shit that's happening right now and the changing of like different circumstances in your life. Mm -hmm. And you have the... I don't want to say like the soul searching part of it, but kind of the like putting down the new roots, like doing the new things that you were thinking about in terms of like, I wonder what this would be like. Like they're kind of like just all mired together in the same thing right now, but yeah, you're still just as right about wanting to explore those kinds of things. And you never could have seen any of this coming, especially in this, this amount. Right. Cause if you had reacted to those like this, you know, like as as if it was going to be like all at once, it would have been rash. So it's like, yeah, the, the quantity has changed, but you're still kind of on the same path, you know? So it's like, just kind of think about it like, true. what do I have to do to meet my immediate survival needs and then carve out that space for the searching? If anything, it's accelerated that timeline in a way that's completely fucking uncomfortable and understandably so, But, but you're still on the right track with it. You know, you're not... Nothing is a fuck up. Nothing has, no doors have
0: closed. Yeah. It's just all of a sudden the floor fell out. Mm -hmm. Like addressing the survival needs first is definitely, that's the first thing on the list. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a hard time prioritizing things beyond that. You know, until that need is met, I don't know that I can lay out a desired trajectory for the rest of it. Yeah. I know what all the rest of it is, but I can't put it in order. Yeah. You know, and I think I just have to wait and see what becomes possible, what feels like it's possible once more basic needs have been met. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's starting to feel more and more like, at least with some of these things that have gone wrong and that like, you know, where I might have seen the cracks start to form the earliest yeah. Those are the things that feel like there's a there's a trajectory for and there's, like, a good possible change for. Yeah. And then there are some other things that have come up more recently that I are just part of the deluge. Yeah. That I just have to wade through, tread water for a little while. But that's
1: still, I mean, that's that counts okay. just as much, just the treading water effectively. Like, right now, it's like, think about it like an emergency room or something. You know, you've got somebody that's been in a horrific accident, like... Right now, you got to stabilize and then worry about the disfigurement, worry about the rehabilitation, whatever yeah. has to happen afterwards. But right now, you're sticking IVs and shit that needs IVs. You're putting clamps on things that need clamps. Like, Yeah, but why do I
0: have to be the medic? <laughs> and the patient. <laughs> and the patient. Yeah. Why can't I just be in shock? <laughs> <laughs> until someone else comes and gives me fucking morphine. Well... <laughs>
1: No, but I think the morphine counts just as much, like figuring out what what that would be in this situation. And mm-hmm. some of it, you know, think about it, like the moving, that will have a definite end. Yes. So that's one big source of stress that's, it might not be the biggest, but it's a source of friction that will
0: mm-hmm.
1: be gone. Yeah, absolutely. And they will like look for other little things that you can just close the fuck down and devote that energy to other things and mm-hmm. try to see some of that stuff mechanically because the worst thing you can do is beat yourself up about like not devoting energy to that soul searching stuff or even deprioritizing some of that because it feels like it's not the most pressing like if it's important to you it's important to you. Mhm. And yeah. you'll weather this. It's a clusterfuck, but I mean you're on the threshold of something new. You're not really like trapped in something old.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, definitively, I'm not trapped in something old. Like, everything yeah. that is was old and was at one point secure yeah. and uh, stabilizing me, in a sense, is coming to an end. So quite definitively, I am <laughs> only allowed to focus on newness now. <laughs> so, I mean, no, you're right. That, that That is refreshing, and that is, like, knowing that it's a one-way journey yeah. and knowing that, like, I can't regress into trying to regain the older things that worked for me, I can only look forward. Yeah. You know, so uh, make, making the attempt to re-cement myself in older things that once seemed stable. Yeah. It's no longer a, a possibility. Yeah. So it narrows down wh- which direction I can move yeah. from this point. <laughs> yeah. It narrows down uh, which wall of the rut I can climb out of. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think that that's something that, You have to feel obligated to find optimism or peace in because it Mm -hmm. doesn't change the fact that it just situationally is going to feel like crap. But Uh, at the same time, I mean, at least you won't have that pressure of knowing there was an easier way back there. And what if I just went back? Like, that's bombed out. Like, you can go in a good direction or you can go in a shitty direction or whatever, but the choice is present and future now. And... Mm -hmm. Once some of the really, uh, like, some of the entanglements of the present start to be less present, Mm. you'll start to see more of that stuff just out of fucking boredom, I imagine. Like, it'll be, like, all right, what am I going to do here? And you're not trapped in the wreckage of it, like, not even just as, like, the past being, like, a choice or something, but the fact that you don't have to kind of find a way to climb out of a lot of this stuff, Mm -hmm. that's an asset, too, you know, and... I don't know. I just I think it's like one of these things, like, you'll start to see little paths emerge that you can snake your way through and kind of figure out. But in the moment, right now, it's very fresh. And mm. it's not wrong that it's smarting like hell because it's a lot. Like, it's a ton to mm-hmm. be just bearing. Mm hmm. <laughs>
0: ask you a question. Yeah. I often talk about the time that I spent uh in the woods. Yeah. In in that like every single day of my life for like 7 months. Mm. I was just in the forest chain smoking and writing poetry yeah. and in a deep 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 depression. Yeah. And at the time my instinct was to go like I need to write the great American novel so that this isn't my life anymore. Yeah. You know, the point I'm getting at is do you ever have those instincts. Like something's wrong and I can make it right by creating something great. Yeah. Like art is the way out of this or like recognition is the way out of this or some sort of, not even necessarily fame, but I can express my way to a new life.
1: I've definitely had that in in different ways. I, I don't have it a lot now the way that I used to, like I do, but it's, it's a little bit more focused on specific elements now Mm -hmm. than it was when I was younger, but I definitely had that, um, big time when I was dropping out of school. Like that was kind of the biggest, like good versus evil hero's journey vibe that I've ever lived, you know, just Mm. kind of literally just trying to be like, if I express what I'm feeling clearly that uh, will at least make people understand what the hell I'm talking about because the issue was of the fact that I couldn't express myself. Like, I was right. saying in what I, terms that I thought were completely clear to everybody that was talking to me about what the hell are you doing with your life? Like, don't you understand? I'm doing this. So I always had this feeling that, like, if I could just make that record or I could just play that show, right? they'll understand. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, he was right. And then mm-hmm. it'll void all of the, you're a fuck-up or you're... Never gonna make it, or you're gonna be financially insecure for the rest of your life, and yeah. So I had it a lot then, but I don't know. Yeah, there are sometimes I find it's just these days it's just to have that something definitive. Yeah. Like I, I sometimes think if I can just do something great or plant some flag, then like that's real. Mm -hmm. Everything else feels like it's a fucking mirage, but at least that's real. And I've found that to be less and less effective over the years in the way that I think it is, but it's still very important.
0: It is. And we've talked before about like how grandeur can help sometimes. Yeah. Like seeing it as your purpose, or even if it's not like your purpose, even if you don't see it as like, I'm destined to do this work. Yeah. Which is kind of a little bit too grandiose sometimes. Yeah. It can still be really helpful to know where your skills lie and know that like, even if it doesn't make me a lot of money, like I can write my way through these feelings. Yeah. I can create something out of this and then it will be over there. It won't be in me anymore. It will be, it will have been released. It will have been cathartic. Yeah. I've been feeling that a lot lately, but also kind of feeling the restrictions of the rut Mm -hmm. keeping me from being very productive. But like I said earlier, like, I have all this production in the works and of my own stuff and of other people's stuff that I've produced um, that I'm just going to be spending the winter mixing and yeah. recording more parts for. Um, I just won't have a studio to do it in, but that's fine. I but I mean, framing work, but that as a bit of grandeur
1: too is, is yeah. helpful because it puts you in... It's you're back in the protagonist seat at that point. Exactly. You're no longer part of the setting. Yeah. And that's where it gets dangerous is when you start to feel like you're part of the ambiguity that's kind of crushing you or the mm-hmm. setting that feels uncertain or evil or whatever it might be. It's even if it's like you're hunkering down while everything else is kind of blowing up, you're it's you yeah. and everything else. And it's yeah. really important, I think, to keep that distinction very clear. Mm hmm. And that's a huge benefit to doing a creative project that you feel like you can really sign your name to, or that you're like making the great anything, because mm-hmm. it it's very personal, and it needs you to survive. And then once it's created, it's it's there as a little
0: reminder. Well, it's like Stephen Pressfield said in the War of Art. Mm-hmm. You know, any piece of art is a conscious thing that one not conscious, but like a how did he put it? Like it's a living thing. Yeah. that needs you to channel it. Yeah. So I think that, like, whenever something like this occurs, whenever, like, there is something to write about, that thing exists by virtue of your feeling it. Yeah. So seeing it as, like, well, this deserves to be channeled. Yeah. This deserves to find a home in some piece of art. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. Yeah. If it does and, and you can kind of get yourself to sit down and do the work, yeah, it's only going to make you feel better about having done the work. That's kind of how I'm feeling about all this. It's just like I need to give purpose to everything that I'm going through. Yeah. Because it seems like in being a phase, in being a set of circumstances, in being a set of emotions, to kind of cure them and distill them and... Yeah. Put them into writing or put them into something that will be representative of it's kind of cliche to say like representative of how I got through it, like document the the struggle, yeah, but that is sort of what happens and and it's okay if you don't because there are some times where you can just feel like whatever I make in this moment, if I read it or listen to it again later on, is just going to remind me of a moment that I hated living through, yeah and that's sometimes a very significant piece of wisdom to have. Yeah. You know, like if you have a dream of recording a certain song in a certain environment in a certain place and like you settle for a room that doesn't feel right. Like you're always going to hear the room whenever you hear the room that you that yeah. didn't feel comfortable to you, you know. So I think that's a that's an important thing to factor in here is like am I going to want to kind of immortalize this time? Yeah. And if so, with what? And if I don't want to, then it's okay that I have other people's projects to work on right now. Yeah. My own work doesn't have to be a part of what I do. Yeah. Or my own writing. But there is also this feeling that in order to really make the next phase post-rut significant, I'm going to have to write my way out of the rut. Yeah. And get fucking manic about something and like (laughs) just get really into a new idea. Yeah. I honestly don't know how to get over a depression in any other way. Yeah. Yeah, but if it works, why look for another way?
1: Yeah. There have been so many great books and records and things made out of that exact problem, though, that... Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as soon as that catches, like, as soon as that gear kind of catches, it's going to be very clear what you need to do, you know? hmm
0: So losing the studio essentially two years after I lost the DIY venue that I used to run, you know, it's been a lot of change. It's been a lot of, like, I don't want to frame it as losing freedom. It's losing a type of agency, but not completely losing agency. Yeah. There's a part of me that has a hard time contextualizing it just because, like, yeah, it really feels like I'm just not the one who's able to do the curating anymore. Mm. But that doesn't mean that I can't have a home base. Like before yeah. I had Woolen Mills, before I had a venue of my own, before I had a, had a studio of my own. Yeah. The Hearing Room was my home base. I just played there every 2 months. Yeah. And uh tried to get as many people as possible to to come out to shows and just like support a space that I loved and believed in. Yeah. And felt very at home. Felt like I was just like one of the main players there. Yeah. So a home base doesn't have to be something that I curate myself. It does have to be somewhere where I have freedom and feel like family. Mm-hmm. I think those are really the ingredients to me is like, can I feel like family to something that somebody else is curating? Or can I do the curation and try to make others feel like family as they come in?
1: Yeah. But even that, I mean, think about, like, when you lost Will & Mills, like, that was a space that you curated and that you made your own in a very cool underground space, but it also was a space that was, was fragile in the sense that if it went too public... It could get recurated by the fire marshal and stuff, (laughs) and it did. And it's like that's something that is always going to be a bit of a tight spot for DIY venues. It's like you can make it your own completely, but again, it's like having a fort. It's like you've got the most bitchin' treehouse in the neighborhood, but it's Mm -hmm. your parents' yard. Mm -hmm. And if they sell the house, you're fucked. Yeah, and. So maybe like the lesson through all of it is that you do a hell of a good job curating a space. You know exactly what a space needs to have and fucking landlords,
0: you know? <laughs> like find a space that you can curate on your own yeah. terms because yeah. then nobody can stop you. Well, we just had one fall through actually. My friend Pat and I were talking about starting a music series at this art space, which is a really cool building. It's like an old middle school where all the old classrooms have been converted into studios. Oh, nice. So, like, the town owns it, but this one art space company leases it from the town. It was a yeah. really good setup, but the uh, director of the place kind of got ousted, so we mm. didn't have that anymore. But we we had been talking about trying to find an organization to operate within, Yeah, you know, and kind of, like, be the people who come in and, and do, like, a biweekly or monthly thing where... um You know, the fire code stuff is taken care of. Like, all the occupancy permits are taken care of. Like, everything is under somebody else's control. Yeah. And the precautions have been taken by the powers that be. Yeah. And you just have to comply with whatever restrictions are important to that space. But do your own thing. Yeah. So, in a sense, like, yeah, I'm okay working with landlords. I'm okay with it not being my organization. Yeah but if I can sort of have free reign to do what I want with a certain type of event or a certain type of community gathering. Yeah. Whether it's musical or not. Yeah. You know, I don't know that that part even really matters to me so much, but I would like it to be musical in some way. Mm. Well, like even that is an important (laughs) nuance, though, that you may not have had in Rutt's past
1: necessarily, you know, because just even that sort of misconception that because you're the one that signed the deed and owns the thing you have total freedom. It's like, well, no, you're the one that takes the flack when things inevitably go sideways in some way or another. So even just realizing that, if you're like, all right, the landlord thing wasn't the issue. It was the kind of like the under the table side of it or the fact that I was kind of the guy holding the keys and also. Yeah. Like like just realizing that it's like from all of these things, you get the right thing that lines up and you're going to not only know that it's right, for very true reasons as opposed to just, oh, fuck, yeah, we got a space. like Mm You're going to be like, no, I got the right space and here's why. Yeah. And then you're going to know exactly what to do with it and how to not let it fall victim to the traps that a lot of DIY spaces will. Yeah. So it's like, in a way, I mean, again, you're kind of poised. The universe (laughs) has to get its head out of its ass a little bit, but it's also... <laughs> you're kinda yeah. poised for like, <laughs> all right, when that moment is right, you're in a position to snap it and, Yeah, you
0: know, be ready. Well, it's interesting. Before I started Woolen Mills, like I, I started it literally for a one party that I wanted to throw. Yeah. Where like I don't know if I've talked about this on mic at all, but I was graduating from college and it was also my birthday. So like I, I had it on my birthday yeah. to deflect the attention from myself for having graduated college. Yeah. (laughs) Like I just, I didn't want it to be someone else's celebration of what I had achieved. Yeah. Or the age that I was turning or whatever. So (laughs) (laughs) I just decided like, I have all this empty space and I work for this family that owns this big building. And uh, what if I just, you know, transform some of that space and invite a bunch of my friends over to jam and play music and, and whatever. And it can be fun. So that's what happened, but like, when I showed my dad the space that I was going to transform, he saw it and saw no potential in it, mm-hmm. but he had suggested like, you know, why don't you do this at uh, and he he suggested one of the churches that does coffee houses that we've we've been to a bunch of times, yeah
1: it's
0: like, why don't you just do this at the church? you know they have you know, rolling out tables and folding chairs that you can set up. They already have a sound system and everything. But I I was like, I want the challenge of setting this all up myself. Like I can see in my head what this will look like after. And it took many months beyond that to actually turn it into what I was picturing. Yeah, Just buying materials and curtains and hanging a bunch of stuff and, you know, decorating. But I fucking did it, you know. And like at the time, having it in a church seems like a, it still does seem like a very bad idea but <laughs> that's also one of the few places that, in, that, that and that in libraries are like the few places that always have the space for this kind of thing yeah for like some kind of gathering like that but you'll always be under a lot of restrictions in yeah. those places you know like they have the space they usually have the equipment yeah they're set up to do what you want to do but it's about who you're answering to at that point yeah, definitely. But I think a version of that would work for me and I wouldn't have to be, you know, the one who's in control of everything Yeah. but would still be the one doing the inviting. Yeah. You know, I think that is important to me.
1: Yeah. But those are separate jobs too. I mean, that just makes sense. Yeah. It's like realizing your strengths are on that side of it and you don't want to be bogged down with all the administrative crap necessarily is a yeah. completely reasonable thing.
0: Yeah. And the beauty of doing a DIY, of course is that there are no, like, strict delegated roles. Yep. You know, when I was talking about, like, the time after the show where the structured event is done and you just hang out and and chat, Mm -hmm. and, like, that's how you and I got close to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) Hanging out till one in the morning after a show. Having broken everything down and hauled it (laughs) back downstairs to this studio. Yeah. That was the end of every single Will and Mills show, was like bringing all the equipment back downstairs and whoever was around was whoever helped. Yeah. You know, whoever was a regular was whoever just like came up to me and asked, what can I grab? Yeah. And having grown up being that person, yeah, like all these coffee houses that I would go to, all of like the community music events that I would go to. I was that person when I was 14 years old. Yeah. Just carrying gear out to people's cars, you know, <laughs> lugging big ass fender twins into station wagons. Yeah. Like it's fun, you know. It's fun to help, it's fun to feel like you're a part of something, and that is what I've always gotten out of DIY. Yeah. It's like anybody and everybody will help out with it. Yeah. Because they know that it's a community venture. Yeah. So keeping that element is also important to me but also not necessarily crucial. Yeah. You know, it's just it's nice when it feels more communal than just a community coming together for the focal experience. Yeah. But it's also tough to find that outside of the organizations where there are more strictures. Yeah. And outside of DIY culture where there's more of a chance of it falling apart because it's so unregulated. Yeah. That's what I've been thinking about. So what does what the next home base look like? And I'm not eager to jump into anything. Yeah. but Even that's smart too. I mean, just not jumping the gun, like
1: not feeling the pressure to be like, oh, good Christ, I have to go somewhere right now because this thing isn't
0: here anymore. Like just being in the pain of it or the confusion of it is that yeah. means something too. So, Well, I can't tell you how many people after woolen & Mills closed came up to me and said like, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do now? Do yeah. you want to go in a space together? And I'm like, dude, no. Yeah. That's the worst thing. And you know what? If I had, this was four months before the coronavirus happened. Yeah. So, like, yeah. had I gone into another space, signed a lease somewhere, like, it would have immediately gone very south. God, I forgot that was then. Yeah. Jesus.
1: Well, so, th- I mean, think about that fucking rut. Yeah. Right. Like, lost the space and then lost, like, the world
0: mm-hmm. and the ability to play live music and stuff. And you weathered the hell out of that. But I don't know. That's the other thing about the home base thing is like I'm I'm still looking back on pre-pandemic times, mm. thinking about how so much of my social life was centered around performing and being a part of the music scene. Yeah. And I think home bases are always important to me. Yeah. I don't know. Even if it's just a place to like get together and play board games once a week. Yeah. You know, like I've I've been missing that too. Yeah. I feel like I've been really tangential with this whole <laughs> <laughs> whole thing. But it's sort of the one thing that currently I'm allowing myself to be, like, really hopeful about. Yeah. Um, No, that's fair. And kind of dream big about. Yeah. We think about the whole situation
1: like you would a space that nobody believes that, like, you know, the way you said your dad looked at Will & Mills like you've got an existential, unheated, dark warehouse that nobody (laughs) thinks shows can happen in. And, like, that wasn't Will & Mills when you first walked in there. You made it Will & Mills. Mm. out of a place that was just essentially vacant or unused for creative purposes. So yeah, look at this like that. Like you didn't just walk in and immediately know like, all right, this is going to be what it ended up being. It's like it started yeah. with just, all right, where the fuck are the outlets and where are the Christmas lights going to go? And I wonder how often I can bring my speakers up and down these goddamn spiral stairs. There are and like no outlets up there either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny because like, I mean, I see the potential now from that place because I only came to it you know, once it was built. But like, right. if you looked at it completely bare, you mm-hmm. would see a basically an aircraft hangar on the third floor of a mill building <laughs> with no heat,
0: yeah.
1: with no outlets yeah. that echoes like a motherfucker. And you made that into this church-like folk venue mm-hmm. where there was some... I still don't know where the power came from. <laughs> to this day, I've helped you set up and break down a hundred times. I don't know what the hell was powering anything
0: and there were christmas lights (laughs) and there were always monitors half the power came from a hundred foot extension cord (laughs) that was literally plugged in a hundred feet away but that's like you know logic would say well you can't do
1: anything here because there's no outlets and it's you know not a venue but you made it a venue and you found a way to plug
0: shit in so Mm -hmm. think about this as that and that's our show As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production, and to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with a short episode on unconditional love, and after that, we'll be wrapping up our Humanist Perspective series by talking about what we feel is the ideal community. Until then...